I'm Angela Kenneke, your host of Grieving Out Loud. She had the biggest, biggest heart. She was the sweetest soul. She was so kind, but she was really struggling with depression. 27-year-old Mariah, a mother of three, died of fentanyl poisoning in 2020 after taking what she thought was Xanax. Now her mother, Rachel Carlisle, has become an outspoken advocate to break the stigma and tell Mariah's story on TikTok, where her videos have received more than 200,000 likes. I have shared some very, very private moments, like the funeral. I've shared the messages from her phone. I've shared my own thought during my own deep dives of my lowest of lows. Rachel says she wants other parents to know it's okay to talk about the loss of a child to fentanyl and to know they are not alone, just like we do on this podcast. Well, Rachel, I first want to say that I am very sorry that we have to meet under these circumstances, both having lost a daughter to fentanyl poisoning. And I'm so sorry for the loss of your beautiful Mariah. Thank you. And I'm very sorry for your loss as well of your Emily. Rachel, can you tell me what happened with Mariah? She was 27 years old. Tell me a little bit about her and and what happened. Mariah was 27 years old. Um, She was an amazing person. Um, She was so artistic. She had the biggest, biggest heart. She was the sweetest soul. She was so kind. And, um, but she was really struggling with depression. She was very, very sad. And all of those things started when she was a young girl. And then in junior high, there were some things that happened to her. She lost her grandmother that she was extremely close to. Uh, She had a rocky relationship with um, her dad. And she always felt like she was living in the shadow of, you know, others. And then she was raped. And I was not aware of it until she had already had her third child. So this was you know, in her mid twenties that she had told me about it. And, um, a lot of it started making sense of a lot of, you know, her, her mood swings and things like that, that I just honestly thought were part of, you know, growing up, you know, but she was struggling and then she had gotten into a relationship and she was in that relationship for nearly nine years, um, up until she had passed away. And her partner struggled with addiction. And Mariah thought that she could save him. And, you know, she had seen me and her father struggle um, with our own addiction. And, you know, she saw that we were doing better. And, you know, she just thought, you know what, if they could do it, I can do it. And she thought that she could save him. And, Sadly, she was putting herself to the side and it just got to be where it was so overwhelming for her. And then came COVID and she was the only one that was working to provide for her three children and things started shutting down. Um, It was being more, you know, everyone was being more isolated and that combination, she just started struggling and she was already with her body. She had, you know, different ailments, you know, from having you know, three, uh, three babies back to back and, you know, all of those aches and pains and she suffered from back and hip problems. And so she was like, you know what, I'm going to take a pill. And she'd already had antidepressants throughout her junior high, high school and adult life that she was on. But 
it just took over. It took over, you know, one pain pill and then let's take another pain pill. And after a while, you know, and this all happened now within a matter of a couple of months. I mean, it, it went downhill very quickly. I could see the spiral, but then I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe not, you know, cause when I would see her, she was always on point, but she just started self-medicating herself and she, um, had come to the house on May 13th. She had dropped off her son. Um, I decided, you know, I was missing my grandkids and I said, well, we'll do one at a time, you know? And, um, so he came to spend the night with me and, we had such an amazing visit that day. I mean, she put her away her cell phone and it was just about me and her, maybe because we hadn't seen each other, you know, for quite a while because of COVID and everything. And we caught up and she looked amazing. And she went on and out the door and said, you know, I'll be here bright and early in the morning because, you know, I had a doctor's appointment and she had to pick up her son. And sadly, I got that phone call and that she, she had passed away. And as I started digging, I, you know, um, I found out the awful truth of what was really happening. Um, it was a complete shock. It was a complete shock. Nothing that I would have ever, ever expected. You know, um, no one ever expects to lose their child. But had you asked me, you know, if somebody would have told me, oh, well, you're going to lose your child, I would have thought, okay, well, obviously that's awful to even imagine to think of. But I would have assumed, okay, maybe a car accident, right? Never in a million years would I have thought that it would be what, you know, the police like to say, overdose. So she actually specifically got a pill that she thought was Xanax, right? Correct. 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 Do you know how she got Um, that pill? Did she get it online or how did she get it? No, she had gotten it from, she had gotten it from her partner. Oh, yeah. So what is his accountability in all of this? Has he been charged with anything or what happened? No, um, I had asked so many times from the very beginning. I, I need to know, I need to know what happened. You know, I wanted, I wanted all of it. And I even said, you know, just shoot it to me straight. Because when I got that phone call, when the coroner came and they told me, well, you know, cause I asked, well, wh- what happened? You know, this doesn't make any sense. How is my child? How is my child dead? And the coroner said, well, they're, were drugs involved and it was an overdose. And I, you know, was like, there's no way my children, everybody was like, no, 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 no. There's no way. And, and I hate to say this, but we all assumed that it would have been her partner, you know, because he struggled and and there was so many times that he had OD so many times. So never, this was a complete shock. And so I had asked him, I need to know the details. I, I just give it to me. What was happening? You know, I thought maybe she had experimented with something and that, you know, because I didn't know about fentanyl. I'll be honest with you. I did. I had no idea about fentanyl. I never got any straight answers. And it took me to dig through her phone. I was able to get in her phone. There was a password. Her son knew it. My grandson, he shared it with us. And I was able to get in there and I was able to uncover all of the ugly And then I waited for the results to come back and I started blowing up the police, asking them, you know, I was calling nearly every day, every week and saying, okay, you know, none of this makes any sense. That's when I discovered that nobody had even been assigned to her case. Nobody Mm. cared. They just looked at it as just another statistic. That's horrible. That's horrible. 
And so nothing, there were no criminal charges, no prosecution to this date, nothing. No, I am fighting. I am fighting very hard to be heard. And that is actually why I started doing these TikToks um, and being more vocal about it because I did stumble across Drug and Juice Homicide Foundation. And that is when I started realizing that I was not alone, that there are thousands upon thousands. And my child, along with all these other thousands, you know, were suffering and they, you know, my daughter received something to numb it, to not feel anything. She didn't ask to die. No, no. there's a huge huge difference in that. Huge, huge. Yeah. And your daughter's partner who gave her the pill, is that also the father of her children? Yes. Yes. So, and so no charges against him or whoever supplied him with the pill. In my case, there were charges brought there. The case was pretty, I mean, evident. And maybe it was because it was heroin and not a pill. Who knows why? Or maybe it's because my case was very public because I'm in the public eye. I don't know. But I can tell you it was the lower level dealer that was first prosecuted and then the higher level dealers. And eventually even the guy, the boyfriend that she was with who bought it at the time was prosecuted for someone else's death. So all of these related people are all in prison now. Uh, it does not make me feel any better and it does not bring my daughter back, but it is, I guess, some assurance that it sent a message and yeah. that is about it. You know, that that's about it. Yeah. And I, I feel bad. Some of these, her new boyfriend that she was with who purchased the fentanyl laced heroin with her and the lower level dealer who sold it to them. Actually, it was the, and he was this other guy was dealing a little bit too, but they really struggle with horrible addiction issues. Right. So I just don't feel, I feel like prison is probably not the place for them. But then it's just, it's such a convoluted thing, you know. And how do you, so my question for you now is though, do you have any sort of forgiveness for him? Are you in communication with him because he's your grandchildren's father? I mean, how do you live with that? That's my question. You know what? It's very, very difficult. I'll be honest with you. It's triggers. It's very triggering, extremely triggering. You know, when I see him, (laughs) I had asked him from the very beginning, like I had, you know, already said, I needed to know the truth. That's all I wanted. You know, that's all I wanted. And I kept getting the runaround and there was absolutely no accountability, no sympathy, because there's so many other details that also, you know, came about once I got the 911 call logs, the paramedic report, and I seen that nobody, nobody called until it was almost 45 minutes. Too late. It was too late. Um, So if, if they could have gotten Narcan to her, if Narcan would have been in the house or something. Right. right. But it was told, don't call, don't call. I'm on my way. On my way meant hopping on a bike and it took over 30 minutes to get to that location. Yeah. Do you think that they weren't aware of good Samaritan laws? I have no idea. I I don't know. You know, that's a um, huge problem though. Good Samaritan laws. So um, just for our audience, if they're not familiar with how those work, if someone does overdose and other people are around you or using around you or have a record or anything, you call 911 because good Samaritan laws means that you cannot be prosecuted in that case. Right. 
And I think that that just so many people are so afraid for themselves, right? Right, Um, exactly. So is that kind of what happened here in in this case? You know what? That's what I'm kind of thinking that the Mm. person that she was with, you know, she, that person just, you know, froze and got scared and um, they called him and, but he, you know, don't call. And so once I started like uncovering all of these things, I really was like, okay, wait a second. You know, (laughs) there has to be some form of accountability. It is really difficult because I do have three little grandchildren that are my life. And they're all that I have left of my daughter, beautiful pieces of her. And they actually were brought to me back in November and the state of Indiana uh, Child Services placed them with me temporarily because their bio OD'd on fentanyl. He had took what he thought was a Percocet and it was pure fentanyl and it was in front of my granddaughter. And so luckily he was, had somebody there that loved him enough to call for help for him. And so they Narcaned him several, several times. The police were actually very embarrassed to tell me how many times they Narcaned him, but he was brought back. He got another chance. And so he followed all the steps that were supposed, you know, that he was supposed to follow. And in June, um, my grandchildren were placed back with him. So once again, there was no accountability for um, anything. And that is the most frustrating part. And that is why I'm so vocal about it at this point now, because the accountability, it, there needs to be some accountability, you know, and it's frustrating. And as you know, and thousands of other parents know that it shouldn't take us, the parents, to have to find out what happened to our children. It right. just shouldn't, you know, right. and during the most horrific times, you know, that It's just so unexplainable. There were times when I looked at him and I did feel bad because what he has to live with for the rest of his life, it's got to be very, very heavy. How are Um, your grandchildren doing? How are they doing your grandchildren? Um, they're doing good. They're doing good. I've been able to talk with them and see them. And, um, you know, there's, it's a tough line. It's so hard because how can I put it? I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. If I if I stay silent, then of course I get rewarded by being able to see them more. If I, you know, don't stay silent, you know, it could hurt me seeing them. It's a really hard journey. Yes, it is. And those are some complicating circumstances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's, it's more frustrating because of the fact that I know the ugly truth. I have her phone. So I've been able to see the past nine years of what was occurring. So what I was know happening. What What mind. do you know now that you didn't know, you know, at the time? The verbal abuse, the mental abuse, the there was becoming more and more physical abuse. And that all attributed a lot of yes. it. Yes. To- I think it attributes to their use. My daughter uh, started at 16 with this guy that she was with until three or four weeks before her death. She just started dating this new guy. And he was mentally abusive, physically abusive, and also an addict. And that has been really hard for me. So I completely understand. And I think it also, he he met her at 16. You know, he took her down this road. Not that she didn't 
have a choice in it. Now, I'm not saying she doesn't have any accountability for herself, Mm -hmm. but it's been very hard for me. I don't have to see that guy. I mean, she didn't have any children, so I can't imagine what that is like for you. It, it's 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 tough. It's tough. And and you know, I know a lot of people tell me, okay, well, just you know, just for the kids' sake, for the kids' sake, you know. And I'm it, it's it's hard. It, it, you know, I can smile right now, but I can tell you, there's a lot of tears that are shed. A lot of tears. A lot of times that I've got to go in my room. And I got to shut the door. I got to go. Up, in my car and I got to scream, you know, um, a lot, as you know, a lot of triggering moments. Yeah. Do, I was trying to think, do you, um, feel like you'll get to a point? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how you manage that. That's just hard. I don't, I, I don't know because on top of grief, you also care about your grandchildren. You want to see your grandchildren. You have to see him. Did you learn that, she had been using longer, using substances longer than you thought? I knew that in high school, she was dabbling in a lot of things. There was a lot of Molly, a lot of ecstasy, a lot of mushrooms back in her high school years that I had no idea about. Had sounds none. like my, I didn't know either. My daughter, same thing. Sounds like. Yeah, my I had daughter. no idea about. And um, and then obviously she um, got pregnant. Um, she was 18 years old. And then she had, you know, my grandchildren back to back to back. And then I always knew that Mariah honestly enjoyed having a Modelo and she would smoke, you know, she'd smoke weed, you know, and that was it. And so many other people came and told me that, you know, Mariah, she wasn't about that. People could be doing, you know, uh, drugs in front of her and she'd be like, no, it was offered to her. And she would always say, no, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I don't need that. I'm good. So yes, it was, it was, you know, to look through her phone and to see that it had started in January of 2020, that she started, it started with the clodipins and then it started with um, the Adderalls, the Xanax, you know, then it started from there. It went uh, very deep with Percocet, you know, with Oxys, with pretty much anything she can get her hands on. That is really hard to see. It, it's as you know, it, it's so hard to see that because when yes. she was, there was times when I would see her, and I would think, okay, something's not right, something's wrong because I had fought with, you know, addiction in my life, and you know, I thought Yourself. I did it pretty well with my personally. Yeah. You had, yes, yeah. so you you know better than anybody, right? Right, exactly. And I started seeing Mariah's more withdrawing from you know, our group chats, because me and my kids, we always do group chats together, just stuff. She was just the phone calls were becoming less. She was my one kid who called me all day long, all day long. Um, The text messages, all of it, you know, and it started becoming less. I want to say it in about March and April, it really became less and less. And then I would hear from her, mom, I, I really miss you. Or when I did get the phone calls, there was a lot of crying going on, you know, but now I understand why. Yes. Now I- you, you, you don't know what you don't know. And when they're right. adult children, I had someone ask me once, like, how could you not know? How could you not know that she was doing? Cause I just thought we knew my daughter was there was something wrong. And yeah. we thought, I thought it was weed and Xanax. Mm-hmm. And I had known that she, at one point she got a prescription for clonopin, which is pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And I just thought it was those things, having having no idea she was using heroin, no idea. 
And so for me, I, I just, I didn't think she was going to overdose on something. And I'm a couple of years ahead of you. And I had heard of fentanyl, but you know, I just thought, well, she's taking these pills I, and smoking marijuana. She's not going to die. Um, we're going to get her help. So I think when you learn these things after the fact, it takes time to process all that. Yeah. And you, one of your ways of processing that is by going on TikTok and you're starting to gain quite a following. You I, have to I, follow Emily's Hope on TikTok. We're on TikTok too. We just got yeah. on. I, I think I ago. do. Oh, okay. I, I thought I did, but I'll have to relook again. <laughs> Great. But t- tell me why or how you came up with the idea to start going on TikTok. Well, I had actually started, um, I thought, you know, to do my own little videos of just memories about Mariah, you know, and then um, I was like, well, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll, and I made them, those were like my private ones that I would share on my Facebook because on Facebook I have become, you know, I, I've grieved out loud, you know, from the very beginning of when that's I the name it. of our podcast, grieving out loud. That's why I called <laughs> well, it that's, that because that's I'm, how I view it, you know? Um, yeah. But on Facebook, it's it's very different because you get to choose your audience, you know, so my things are all private. You know, I have really picked and chosen um, who who's my friends, you know, but then on TikTok, I was like, you know what, I'm just how I, I wanted to really start making people aware of what was happening. And I wanted people to see that my daughter was just like anybody else's child. You know, she was cross country softball. I mean, she attended, you know, all the pep rallies. She was just, you know, just like anybody else's child, because I started realizing the stigma, the stigma is so huge. You know, people are not coming to bring you casseroles when your child, you know, has passed away from anything drug related. I found that out very quickly and people don't want to talk about that. And I even had a woman one time, you know, and, and God bless her and I'll never, ever knock her because of the fact that she was hurting is just like me, but she had mentioned when we had got to talking and both lost our child. And uh, she said, well, my child didn't ask to die. My child was didn't an ask, ask to die. You know, I wrote a blog, called... an accident, you know, and yeah, your child knew that there, there, that could happen. And I had to excuse myself very quickly because, uh, I was about to lose my Jesus. <laughs> right. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I think people just don't understand. I, I wrote a blog called My Child Died Too, but because I have all the time when I speak, someone will come up to me and say, my child died too, but it wasn't from drugs. And I just look at them like, what difference does it possibly make? Right. I mean, the pain is the same. We both lost a child. Right. Why would you say that? But it's almost like they don't want to be judged the way they must be judging me. I think that has to be it. It, It's got to be. Yeah. I I can't think of another way. (laughs) Another reason, you know. So I get that. I get that. I'm sorry you experienced that. Yeah. So Of course, your child did not choose to die. Your child was poisoned. Your child was poisoned. So that's pretty much why I thought, you know what? I'm going to start just sharing for myself, for myself. And then I'll post them on my Facebook. And um, it was a little scary because obviously, as you know, on TikTok, I mean, the whole world is seeing it. If once you make it on private and people can be very cruel. And I'm thinking if this woman (laughs) who I know said that to me, can you imagine what strangers are going to say to me? But I thought, you know what? That's okay. You know what? I'm here. I'm still standing. I've, I've experienced 
the greatest loss, the greatest pain, honestly, you know, bring it. And at this point, I'm like, I need to do something. I, I couldn't, and I needed to also keep my mind occupied. And that was my way to do it. And the more um, I started, the more I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep things going. And I have shared some very, very private moments, like the funeral. Um, I've shared, you know, some of the messages from her phone. I've shared my own thoughts um, during my own, you know, deep dives of my lowest of lows. I've shared those things and and I'm going to continue because this is the reality and how I wish that somebody would have talked about it more because maybe then I would have been able, you know, where it would have came up, you know what I mean? Like for me, it wouldn't have been this huge shock or, or I could have talked about it with my, with my children, my grandchildren. And then also the stigma that comes about anything about being sad depressed, all the ugly stuff that people, you know, it makes people very uncomfortable. And I get it. I totally get it. But it's, it's, it can't happen like that anymore. I know after Mariah's funeral, I was talking to a loved one and um, they said, okay, the funeral has passed. Your time of mourning is over. <laughs> you know, it is time to move on. What? And they obviously have never lost someone extremely they important did. and close they, to them. They actually did. They had lost um, children. Um, really? And it was just the old school, oh. old school Hispanic way of, yes. um, you know what? We do it. Our quiet moments, it's private. We don't. And I thought, no, because maybe my daughter would have felt more comfortable coming to tell me what had happened to her. Right. You know, all of those things. And here I thought I had a very open relationship with my children because I was raised in such a um, strict home and we didn't talk about those. We didn't talk about anything, you know. And um, so I did it the opposite with my children. But sadly, um, it still, I guess, wasn't enough. Right. So that's why right. I did it. That's, that's awesome. Why. And I do think you're right. I had the very same thought that I've, had, I've gone through the worst thing, the most hurtful thing, the worst kind of pain. I think anyone can experience the loss of a child. So whatever the world says or thinks, whatever other people, whatever, they really can't hurt me. I mean, not to the extent that I've been hurt. So I I agree that that was one thing that helped me go forward with what I'm doing. And I have had, what what I found interesting is when I put the story out there about what happened to my daughter, I really expected a lot more haters than I've received. And I would say about 98% of people were positive and helpful and, and cared. And it's that, you know, 2% or so the people who said things like, oh, she's just a junkie. She chose to die. She deserved to die. You're a horrible mother. You know, those kinds of things. There were, there was that. Unfortunately, our human brain focuses on the negative, right? So those things right. stick with you more than the 98% of people who are, you know, surrounding you with love. And I always try to remember that, that that's just a small minority of people out there. Yeah. Ignorant. Very people. true. Very ignorant very true. means spiteful people, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And that was something like yourself that I found. I had so many more people that were also shared my pain. I, I, you know, I mean, it was, uh, there's a few of my posts that I have, you know, videos that I posted and person after person that knows somebody, whether it was a cousin, a neighbor, a friend, 
a son, a grandchild, a niece, a nephew. I mean, it's astonishing. It's heartbreaking. And I, it really makes you stop and think, you know, my God, this needs to be talked about. Yes. Needs to be talked about. Yes. I often liken it to the AIDS crisis. And if you listen to my podcast, you may have heard me say this before, but people were writing fake obituaries back, you know, in the nineties and AIDS crisis, late eighties, early nineties. And they were ashamed, right. Of how their loved one had died. Uh, There was so much stigma around being gay and just the whole thing. And it took a bunch of angry mothers, you know, to say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to write a fake obituary. I'm going to say what happened and that I'm going to fight for, to change this. I'm going to fight for changes. And I think that's what we're doing. And we have to do it together because there's power in numbers. I think mothers can change the world, but we have to do it together. Look at mad, you know, mothers against drunk driving, you know, it was one mom, one mom. And now look at, that's why I have chosen to grieve out loud as, as what you call it, you know, and I never even realized that, to be honest with you, I just, you know, somebody had asked me one day, um, a family member, you know, why, why do you put all your business out there? And I said, well, cause I'm choosing to grieve out loud, <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't keep it bottled up inside, you know, and even going, you know, to therapy and stuff. I said, I, I have to let it out. I have to let it out. Right. So this is me. The reason I'm grieving out loud is it helps me with my grief, but also just to help one other person, just to let one other mom know they're not alone, just to stop one other person from dying for them to hear about fentanyl, yeah. uh, for them to know how prevalent it is in everything. And that's why I do the podcast. That's why I call it Grieving Out Loud. I just want to be a, a resource for other parents to come together and, and to also provide information you know, so that we do understand, we understand addiction better. We understand mental health issues better. We, and, and we have tools to grieve as well. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Because you set, you've set the path, you know, for moms like me to know it's okay, that it's okay to talk about it, to talk about our child, to talk about all the ugly, all of it, and to help in, you know, stopping the stigma that is out here. You know, well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that so much. I know it's been a couple of years now for you, two years, right? Yes. Are there times still where that grief just knocks you down? Yes. Mm-hmm. I think and more now. Really? I think more now, to be honest with you. I, you know, the first year, yes, very, very hard. And um, I remember the first, the very first day, uh, I was in shock. My children came, you know, from the phone call, you know, in the movies, you know, that you see it, you know, they the scream and all of that, you know, that didn't happen with me. It was just one of the, I, I was like, my body just like, I was shocked, completely shocked. And then my children, you know, came to my home and I thought I got to keep it together for them and all of that. And, um, but when everybody went home and that, I watched the clock and it struck to the time that I knew my child had took her last breath. I just let out. I, I, it was sounds that I never knew I had inside of me and mm-hmm. fell to the ground because I knew that my child was now gone. She was gone. 
Um, and then at the funeral, the same thing, you know, I was trying to keep it together, you know, for my children and all of that. And I was fortunate enough. I, I shouldn't say fortunate enough because it's not fortunate enough. Um, I was able to spend the day before with Mariah uh, before her funeral because my daughter, my oldest daughter, it was one of the things between them. They said, you know, well, if we ever one of us passes away, you know, we got to do each other's makeup. Um, because they are perfectionist with makeup. Mm. And so my oldest did her makeup. And so oh. I was there to support her. And then she said, please come in here with me. And I wasn't expecting to do that. But I went in with her. And I knew that I couldn't fall apart. Because I knew if I did, it was going to have, you know, my daughter would fall apart and not be able to do what she wanted. She knew her sister wanted done. So I kept it together. Wow. And um, and it ended up being a very beautiful experience. And I know that sounds, I know, I know some people are going to be like, that is, that is the weirdest thing ever. But the reason I say that is because anyone who knows us knows that, you know, I was a teen mom. And uh, so I grew up with my daughters. I had both of them by the time I was 17. So for us, when we got together, it was always, you know, doing our hair, our makeup. That was something that we always did together. And so it was like, we did it one last time together, but this time it was like, you know, Mariah didn't have any of the comeback. So it was, a it was a beautiful moment, the last moment, but then I knew the next day it was still to keep it together, you know, for my mom, for my son, for everybody. But yesterday I went to the cemetery and I hadn't been there in a couple of months. I'm so embarrassed to even say that because. I try to go there every single month, at least a couple of times a month. And uh, because I want it to look as she's thought of, loved. I'm the only one who goes. And, uh, but it's still important to me. I hadn't went because I guess I didn't really want to share with her that the, you know, the littles, I call them my littles, my grandchildren, were no longer with me. And I feel as if I let her down because I know what her wishes were. Because see, Mariah had a, a feeling that she was going to pass away. And she would always talk about it within the last year of her life. She had even really, written, yeah, she had told me what her wishes were for her children. Um, and she would tell people, you know, um, she just had this, this feeling. So when I went yesterday, it hit me, I guess the numb fog shock is all like lifted, you know, that, that heavy fog and reality has now sunk in the silence is cruel deafening the silence is deafening yeah. yes yeah. and mm -hmm. you know it's no longer oh you know where my mind is you know kind of telling me oh no you know she's at work or you know now finally right. my heart and my mind are on the same same little you know wave of saying she's gone and it was hard leaving her yesterday I didn't care who heard me. I don't even know if anyone was there. It just all came out and I didn't want to leave. I felt like my feet were in concrete and they just, it did, it, it hit me. And I realized now the first year, you know, all of those first holidays, first, all of that, you know, now it's like, no, mm -mm. I don't know if it's because her littles are, you know, my littles are gone now. So it was almost like it all reopened it again. I'm I, sure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure because that's another, 
although it may be hard to raise grandchildren, (laughs) that is another loss for you. That's another loss to not have them there. So, right. I could see how that would just trigger. You know, the holidays come, it's not just one empty chair. We have four empty chairs. You know, it's not just one anymore. It's four because it was always her and her children. And we don't get that. Right. So that is, that's a huge loss upon loss. And and it's tough to deal with. And I do think that, like you said, the first year is just shock. Mm-hmm. And to me, the second year is depression. And to me, the third year leads into more acceptance. Okay. So I'm just, yeah, I, I, that's the way I feel about it. But I know everyone is different. And also you go back and forth. So you yeah. may be okay one day and the next day you may not be. And that continues. And I think that's hard for the rest of society to understand, you know, you're, oh, you're supposed yeah. to go to work. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. But sometimes it's really hard. And yeah. I think society thinks, well, this happened to you four years ago. Why are you, yeah, you know, why aren't you okay? It, it It's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And, you know, and then once the funeral and stuff have went by, everyone stops calling and checking in and, you know, yeah. and in that silence, like you said, I mean, it's really like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm newly married. Um, I had just got married um, a few months before my daughter passed away. How has this grief, your overwhelming grief, because I know how you feel and I can say that because I do. Um, how has that affected your new marriage? Did it, did it make it straight? You know what? Honestly, or- he, he's God sent. Because oh. as you know, <laughs> you go through so many emotions, yes. you know, you go through. So um, you found yourself a good guy. I did. I That's did. Awesome. Um, I, I really, truly did. E- even with my grandchildren coming in, you know, I mean, I, at one point I remember we were sitting there, it was, you know, kind of rough because my grandchildren came and they were very traumatized. I mean, they had been coming over and all of that, you know, but once they came to live, <laughs> that was different. They weren't going home. And I even looked at my my husband and I said, I would not blame you. I, I would not blame you. You know, if you if this is too much, you know, I said, I honestly, and you know, he looked at me and he said, This is part of our vows. I'm here. This is oh. my family too. And I have so much love and so much more respect for him, especially after those seven months. Uh, that my littles were here because it, you know, he, he got a lot of, you know, the anger, the anger stage, the just, he got a lot of it, you know, where I didn't tell anybody else, but he was my reason to get up every day. He's never missed a lunch. <laughs> you know, I packed his lunch. He never missed a, I had, he always had a breakfast. He's always had, you know, clean clothes and all of those things. It was a struggle to push myself, let me tell you. But you know what? He's so good to me that it gave me that. It gave me something that I knew I had to do. If that yes, makes any sense. purpose. It gave you a purpose. You, you it gave me a purpose. To... You know, yeah. he didn't ask for any of this. And and I and you know what? I could have crawled in my bed and stayed there for months at a time. And he would have, he would have. He would have, you know, said, okay, because there were some times that I did crawl back in my bed and sure. I would just cry. And you know what? He would come in and he'd put a box of tissue and he would shut the door and he would give me my space. And so I, 
knew that, you know what, I, I, I've got to try for this man. I got to try. I got to try. And so, yeah. So well, wherever, wherever we find our purpose and you have grandchildren to have a purpose for too, but wherever we find our purpose, I think is very important to make it one foot in front of the other and to continue on. Yeah. Yeah. So will you keep making these TikTok videos? I mean, you've got a good thing going here, right? You're going <laughs> to keep raising awareness. I, I will. I will. Um, I actually, um, for, I also have purchased uh, billboards. Lamar billboards has been so amazing. Uh, I had reached out to them and I had gotten some advice from a TikTok mom actually. And so I emailed them and let them know why, um, what had happened to Mariah, who I was, why it was so important for me to, you know, why I wanted some billboards here in the region. We call it the region here in Northwest Indiana. And um, because nobody's really talked about it. And there has been no, I believe there has been the first prosecution for um, a drug-induced homicide here in first? Lake County. The first. Oh, but we've that had is it. a lot of those here. <laughs> we've had many federal ones, not state, yeah. but here, many federal ones. Been, I mean, just the first one happened in 2020, um, the fall of 2020. So um, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be silenced. I'm trying to do anything and everything that I can uh, to talk about it, um, to start really pushing, you know, for this to be, hey, come on, this this is not okay. This we got to start holding yeah. some people accountable. We've got all of it, all of it. So I will continue with the TikTok. I will continue to be any any type of media that I can. I am going to use it. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate that. And thank you for sharing Mariah's story and, and your story of surviving this horrible loss. And I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep following you on TikTok. And I will do the same. I will do the same to support you in any way that I can. You can follow Rachel Carlisle on TikTok. And you'll also find me there on Emily's Hope underscore. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Grieving Out Loud. If you like what you're hearing, please consider giving us a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our episodes and my blog on our newly designed website, emilyshope.charity. Until next time, wishing you faith, hope, and courage.